Ryan Stanton here with ASAP Frontline, joined today by Dr. Matt Nelson uh, with North Shore in New York. And we're talking about an interesting development. Uh, it's really not a development. It's a, a further evolution of a topic that we've discussed quite a bit. Um, I mean, every, every year we do a, a few discussions on ultrasound and its implementation within the emergency department um, and its growing role, but also with uh, the current pandemic with COVID. It's also finding a role with that uh, as well. And we wanted to talk about that. And this is one of the podcasts we've been trying to catch up with for a while. And a combination of both of our uh, busy schedules. In fact, if you'll notice, the audio is a little bit different on my end. I am actually in a hotel room in Charlotte, North Carolina, as part of the return to racing for NASCAR. So apologize for that. But at the same time, we wanted to get this information out there because we think it's very important to have the tools that we can uh, use to assist us uh, during this time in our emergency departments, especially now as uh, the volumes than most of our emergency departments are starting to grow back to uh, closer to the pre-COVID levels. Um, we want to have ways that we can quickly and efficiently evaluate our patients. And we know ultrasound has been a tool that has been glo- uh, growing in that realm. So, Dr. Nelson, thanks for joining us here on the front line. It was my pleasure. Thank you. So give us a little background um, on your role um, with ultrasound, and uh, then we'll roll into how it, it's been a tool within the COVID space. Sure. Uh, I actually did my, my ultrasound uh, fellowship years ago back at, at North Shore in uh, 2004. You know, the emergency ultrasound program uh, at North Shore was started by Mike Blivis um, in 2000, and so it has grown and multiplied and, and seeded a lot of the clinical ultrasound departments and divisions throughout the United States, and that's something we're very, very proud of. Um, over the years, have had various roles, and uh, currently I am uh, the uh, division chief of our um, emergency ultrasound um, faculty. Uh, it's been a... Uh, Interesting time, um, but I think the fact that we were a well-established ultrasound program that had a lot of uh, the implementation in place, we were one of the early adopters to ASEP's clinical ultrasound accreditation program, and uh, uh, many people in our division uh, sit on the uh, health system-wide Northwell Ultrasound Task Force for point-of-care ultrasound. So I come from a very, very established program, and I think that in and of itself allowed us to perform and not uh, not kind of fade away uh, during this pandemic. I've heard a lot of people say and have said the same thing that, you know, before a few months ago, there were no experts in COVID. And so we all tried to learn as quickly uh, as possible using our particular skill sets. And of course, with uh, your facility there, with all the ultrasound things that you've done, start looking at the implementation of ultrasound, uh, point of care ultrasound with uh, with regard to COVID. Uh, tell us about what um, the kind of the early steps, the evolution and what you've learned in terms of things that we can do and use uh, POCUS for uh, with regard to COVID. Sure. Um, so actually really early on, I had the luxury of getting in touch with some of the uh, emergency medicine and intensivists in Italy. So we were able to gain the insight uh, from their practice 
uh, and their paradigms. Within the first week of March, we were on the phone teleconferencing with them, finding out what they learned. Very early on, we adapted, you know, cleaning protocols to assure safe use of ultrasound. I think that that was key for both our patients and our providers. We have emergency medicine fellows, uh, faculty, and residents who are performing these scans. And we wanted to make sure that they, as well as the patients we were, we were treating, remained safe. So early on, a lot of what we were looking at was obviously lung ultrasound, what emergency medicine had become very, very comfortable at identifying in pulmonary edema, B-lines were really what we were seeing. The more, I think, finesse uh, findings were these pleural thickening and pleural findings and subpleural findings, which um, people with, with more experience were, were commenting on also. I think that we used that early on to try to guide our, our disposition. Um, you know, I was in Long Island and we were hit very, very hard, very quickly. Uh, it escalated very quickly. Our site, you know, first put out the, um, this kind of walking well area, which we opened up in our research institute. And, uh, you know, the thought was, we could use ultrasound to try to risk stratify. So someone who looked okay, and a lot of these walking well COVID patients looked okay, if they had significant ultrasound findings, we would think twice about sending them home. And that kind of developed over, over the time, you know, as the pandemic ensued, we saw just much sicker patients and much fewer of these walking well. Um, and then almost everyone had these diffuse beelines. And so the question of, well, what's the utility of doing the test um, and putting the provider at risk if everyone has these findings? But I think that as the pandemic changed and we learned more about it, we changed uh, what we were doing with ultrasound. Uh, we started doing a lot of point of care echo on these patients. You know, when we, we started uh, hearing more about the thromboembolic risk. And so almost all of these patients who were ill, we started doing these point of care echoes to look for RV strain because there was a protocol already in place in the ICU with a X-fold increase in dimer. They were starting anticoagulation and this kind of you know, sealed the deal. And, you know, at, at our peak, not everybody could get a CAT scan. And we did a lot of lower extremity duplex and had some interesting findings. A lot of um, very turbulent flow in the lower extremities was seen. Um, and some, some DVTs were found. So, you know, as the, the pandemic changed, we kind of used our ultrasound in, in different fashions. And it's very interesting that you, you talk about that evolution because in many ways it's been that way for just for ultrasound in general. Many of our listeners uh, out there are not going to have uh, clearly the skill set that um, that your facility is going to have with the use of ultrasound. Um, give some kind of some tips and things that you know the general community 
based physician that, that isn't part of a really strong and established ultrasound training program, some of the early kind of some of the basic skills and things that you can look for uh, to identify COVID. And of course, you mentioned the uh, DBT and, and, and related uh, echo related issues, which are going to be key because I, I completely agree that's that was one of the earlier wheelhouses uh, of the ultrasound programs of POCUS uh, has been the uh, DBT screening. Uh, give us some of the the kind of the earlier or more basic signs and things that um, our physicians and other and providers should be looking for with regard to uh, COVID assistance? So I think that coming to the basic lung findings are these beelines. And I think we've proven that with limited ultrasound experience, most emergency medicine docs can uh, identify beelines. And these were not, you know, few beelines here and there. These were diffuse beelines in kind of multiple, multiple quadrants. So I think that, you know, we, we have several uh, faculty who are fellowship trained, but we have a big faculty of over 40. And, you know, we've identified that they can identify this finding on ultrasound, maybe not the plural findings, but certainly the beeline. I think another thing uh, that emergency uh, docs are really good at are looking for plural effusions, right? And I've kind of used this as a negative predictive value in trying to see who doesn't have COVID, right? So if I found patients with large plural effusions, I found that that was a negative predictor for their diagnosis of COVID. So I think it helped both in identifying patients who we had a suspicion were COVID, but ultimately at our peak, almost all the, we, we suspected COVID in almost all of these patients, right? It was almost 100% of the people who were coming in. Um, but those who were coming in with respiratory complaints that could be COVID, that had these large plural effusions that, that most, I think, uh, EM docs could identify could be a negative predictor. So I think it really helped there as well. Is um, in, now that we're in this current phase of COVID, where most of us have had some downturn. I mean, I know up there in New York, you guys have had a pretty significant downturn. Um, but you know, other areas of the country, we're not growing anymore. A lot of areas are seeing this steady downturn, and we're going to see a lot of cross pollination with other uh, emergency conditions because those patients that were staying out of the ER are now coming back. Um, does the ultrasound provide that differentiation? You have the sensitivity that you're talking about looking at things, but is there specificity? You mentioned the um, the plural effusions, but are there ways that with other, um, well, just say even pneumonia for that case or, or heart failure, things that you're looking for that you that you can differentiate? Because in our, my facility, you mentioned that you are having a hard time getting the CT scans. Well, in my facility, that was what we were using basically for diagnosis because we had no access to test. Um, and so we were um, using the CT scan and our radiologists are, were saying this is basically 100% because we used to see this once or twice a year. And now we're seeing it with every one of these, uh, you know, significant COVID patients. So, um, but of course, radiation, expensive test uh, facility. Thankfully, my hospital created a negative pressure CT scanner and, and processes to turn them over very quickly. But are you able to differentiate more specifically now that we have that mixed population in this stage of COVID with the ultrasound? So it's hard. Um, I'm not going to argue. Because we didn't 
do it in all other viral pneumonias previously, and it wasn't as rampant of uh, a utility previously. I don't know what human metanumovirus lung looks like um, or parainfluenza lung. I think it's going to be a challenge, uh, especially once we hit flu season or RSV. You know, some of the you know, plural findings um, that we're seeing with COVID are the, the findings that pediatrics EM ultrasound people talk about with, with RSV, uh, bronchiolitis. Um, I think kind of using these other skills um, in conjunction with the ultrasound is where it helps. So I spoke about the pleural effusions. Uh, another thing that I, I was looking at a lot was the IVC. The beelines from COVID look a lot like the beelines from pulmonary edema. Um, but in pulmonary edema, that IVC is going to be plump. It's going to be plethoric. Most of the patients that we saw with COVID, that IVC was collapsed. And, you know, most of the patients that we see with CHF exacerbations have stigmata of CHF on physical exam. They have the lower extremity edema. They have the JVD. So I think it's using the ultrasound with physical exam and doing what ED docs do best. We're clinicians, right? And using our whole arsenal to kind of differentiate the two. You know, I probably about two, three weeks ago, um, we started seeing a real mixture of patients. We had um, part of our ED designated as kind of COVID ED, part of our ED as clean ED. And I saw this patient who had been seen like three or four times at urgent care during the pandemic and diagnosed with COVID pneumonia, but not, not tested for COVID um, until the third visit. Uh, and then tested negative and told it was probably a false negative. She was treated with NIB. She was treated with antibiotics. But what happened was she was acute CHF six weeks ago. And by the time that I saw her, she was fulminant CHF. She had a poor ejection fraction. She had pleural effusion. She had a plethoric IVC. But she also had, you know, our classic presentation, what we typically look for for CHF exacerbations, right? She had rails all the way up. She had three plus edema. Uh, and these are the type of patients who I think suffered the most, right? Not all of the patients who suffered were COVID patients. People suffered who had other diagnoses potentially misdiagnosed as COVID. And I think ultrasound can be helpful with this, but it's all done in conjunction with the physical exam. Yeah, I think the bias aspect of COVID that probably made a huge impact on trying to, well, and of course I feel that way with a lot of things in emergency medicine, whether it's our stroke alerts or stimulant alerts or everything, or sepsis for that matter, um, you know, our ability to bias people and then try to anchor them into that particular diagnosis and make them fit, you know, the square peg in the round hole kind of idea of we said your sepsis, we're going to make you fit in there. Um, where's the, are we seeing uh, research that's being done, looking into, because we're going to be dealing with COVID. I mean, even if the vaccine comes out in the next number of months, we're going to be dealing with COVID likely for the next year plus. Is there research out there that's looking into uh, further uh, stratification and, and skills, almost protocols with regard to ultrasound with, with use within the COVID population? Yeah, so there are several studies coming out of Northwell. Northwell, you know, 23 uh, ED hospital, um, 
And uh, they actually started a research consortium where uh, you would have access to all the, the patients and all the data. Um, so lots of studies are coming out of that. Our own department is looking at how point of care has helped with various things. We're looking at the lung findings. We're looking at these, what I would call secondary lower extremity findings, not exactly the non-compressibility, but this smoke and turbulent uh, findings in the lower extremity. Uh, so hopefully we're going to have some stuff out of there. You know, I, like I said, I was fortunate enough to be put in touch with some of the docs in, in Italy, and I saw a lot of their protocols. You know, the crazy thing was that most of the patients that they were talking about when we were very early on were sick and were, were being admitted. Uh, and at that point, we were seeing a lot of these walking well and it transitioned very, very quickly. So hopefully um, we will get out some good research and uh, it, will be, it will be stuff that, um, you know, the ED docs around the country, around the world can use. Yeah, I think that's going to be uh, integral, um, especially as we've, we've yet to see. I think this is probably the first widespread, um, well, of course, for everybody, this is in medicine, this is likely the first pandemic uh, working here in the United States. But at the same time, um, in terms of widespread acute situation that, that POCUS has, has been able to really assist with, um, I think one of the big things, and when people listen to this and they contact me and say, you know, I love that idea. I think it's fantastic. But then how do we make it happen? And you've talked about some of the early findings, but I think one of the most important things here is looking at some of the protocols for safety, you know, and decreasing contact with patients, uh, you know, face-to-face -face contact, decreasing that potential viral exposure. Um, how do you guys address that one on timing, but then also sterilizing, cleaning the actual device itself? Um, so, you know, we talked about this early on. We talked with organizations like ASEP. You know, we had a very extensive disinfecting cleaning policy already because of CUAP. I think that, you know, we definitely made adaptations. We ensured that the machines were wiped down in their entirety after every use. So not just the probe used, the entire machine. We made it a policy at our institution that if you were going to be in a room during a aerosolizing or high-risk procedure and using the ultrasound, you had to be in complete full PPE, um, whether the patient was confirmed COVID or just suspected COVID. So, you know, you would be wearing the same PPE as the person doing the intubation. And I think that was important, and that's one of the things that Northwell Health did really well. It, we provided PPE to our providers, and they felt safe doing it. That's why we were able to continue our fellowship uh, during this and continue, uh, you know, all the things that that you know make our program special. I think the the key is having to do it safe. So. So we, we were fortunate enough to get um, a bunch of new machines during this crisis. Our hospital um, got us two machines that were cart-based, but touchscreen, very sleek, very easy to wipe down. And we actually secured three handheld probes 
uh, and with tablet. And that was even, even better because that could be essentially wiped down hand to foot guaranteed with minimal effort, right? We work, we work with large groups of people. So everyone's going to do things a little differently. These smaller machines that are more conducive to cleaning uh, kind of put us at ease to ensure that, that it would be cleaned. As the pandemic pursued and we saw this flux, right? First, the ED got jammed with the walking well. Then the ED got surged with the very sick. And then you started coming off that peak and our volumes dropped like most people's volumes dropped. Our volumes went down to probably as low as 50%. We, we started thinking outside the box. You know, it was still fairly difficult for radiology to come down to the ED because like many providers, they felt like the ED was the hotspot, right? So we saw an uptick in doing scans on non-COVID patients in our ED. We had our providers, our ED docs, actually staffed a uh, ICU upstairs um, for the last uh, almost four plus weeks. Uh, it was uh, entirely staffed by uh, our ED attendings, residents, and NPAs. Um, and a lot of the people who went up there were our fellowship-trained ultrasound docs. And so they brought uh, ultrasound upstairs to the ICU to, to do it. And they ha- we had all these predetermined policies for for cleaning and for safe use of ultrasound. And I think it allowed us to use it in a lot of different ways. I think that's going to be the big uh, transition um, as we move forward is, is having places uh, like yours that are uh, have those policies, procedures uh, in place so people can basically turn key um, into into the technology. That's been our biggest thing as, so far, you know, talking with our folks with the, a lot of these new things is, okay, what, we're, 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 we support doing it, but then the the hows of doing it and the, the cleaning and those sorts of things. And, um, you know, we worked on it with our, uh, ra- with radiology equipment, with the portable x-ray machines, with the CT scanner, all that stuff. And the ultrasound was another one as well. And we're, we're similar to your situation where our particular facility has a touchscreen based uh, ultrasound machine that makes it. And that was one of the whole main reasons was uh, that uh, we bought the one we did was because of the ease of cleaning, of course, being smaller with having some areas of the ER that are, that are older and, not larger rooms, bunny stretch the imagination. Um, really interesting evolution. Uh, then once we get done with COVID or get on the back end of COVID, we're going to have all kinds of new uh, things that we've learned, uh, the evolution of, of healthcare. I mean, honestly, crisis is the best uh, engine to drive uh, innovation and pushing forward. Um, is there any closing messages, any thoughts uh, further with ultrasound um, with regard to COVID to those outside outside your facility that are listening right now that that are really kind of got their interest peaked um, as another tool that they can bring into this fight for this pandemic? Yeah, absolutely. I think the emergency medicine physician should be comfortable that they can identify the most common COVID ultrasound findings. Uh, it's not just something that that someone with fellowship training um, and years of experience are going to be able to identify. Emergency docs who are residency trained are going to be able to to see this stuff. 
And as we move into the next phase, as we move into the patients who are uncertain, the diagnostic uncertainty, you can still use your ultrasound, but it has to be done uh, in the setting of, you know, what we do best, being a clinician. Um, and I think that it, the two in conjunction will, will allow you to, to use this safely in, in our COVID patients and our non-COVID patients. Um, but I think that it is a tool that is going to be propelled even further because of this pandemic and prove its utility, not just uh, amongst us, not just amongst emergency medicine, but uh, in the house of medicine in general, because we were making these diagnoses before x-rays were being done, before CAT scans were being done. And it just proves that, you know, uh, when the clinician performs it with what we're seeing in front of us that the patient has, uh, it's that much more important. Yeah, and it's um, and of course you mentioned some of the handheld devices, and that makes a that can make a huge difference now that we have such uh, cost effective and portable and easily cleaned devices out there. Talking with Dr. Matt Nelson uh, from New York, uh, the, very much a lot of the epicenter of um, the COVID pandemic here in the United States, um, a facility that really has, has done fantastic work in figuring out new ways to uh, deal with the COVID pandemic. So, uh, Dr. Nelson, how can folks get in touch with you if they have any more questions or actually want to uh, look at how to implement these procedures inside their emergency department? Check my email very, very frequently. You can send it to mnelson1 at northwell.edu. Um, if they want to uh, reach out and say they want to chat with me, just email me and I'll call you back. We want to share what we've learned. I think it's going to help others, not just with this pandemic, but with, uh, with future crises. I think that uh, we're very, very proud of uh, the work that, that we did. And uh, I'm always willing to talk about uh, myself and my my department, no, but seriously, you know, ultrasound and education, these are my passions. So uh, if there's any interest, uh, we'd love to to share stories and find out what other people are doing. Um, and uh, that's really it. I appreciate giving the opportunity uh, to talk. Well, I really appreciate your uh, flexibility. Um, you know, I've, I've I haven't been home for over two weeks now, so I don't have my usual gear. And, but you know, I was chatting yesterday uh, to get this thing knocked out because I want to get this information out um, to uh, the physicians in Pete's PA's facilities out there uh, because this is valuable information, another tool that we can use in this uh, evaluation and fight against COVID nineteen. Um, and so I really appreciate your time. I appreciate uh, your, your efforts and uh, continue to uh, stay safe up there in New York. And as your background here on Zoom um, with the skyline, New York skyline with a double rainbow there, you know, hopefully uh, we've got brighter days ahead with regard to this pandemic. So thank you very much, Dr. Nelson. Thanks a lot, Rob. As for me, you can contact me, youreverydaymedicine at gmail.com, youreverydaymedicine at gmail.com, or at everydaymed on Twitter. Um, everybody continue to stay safe. Uh, hope, hopefully this, uh, this uh, great opening that we're seeing through much of the country is not going to give us too much work to do over the next number of weeks. But, uh, you know, continue to listen and learn. Um, we've got a lot of podcasts now about COVID. We're getting a lot of information out there. Continue to advance your practice, um, work for the patients, um, and the skills that we can use every day when people come and need our services. 
And until next time, I'm Dr. Ryan Stanton, and this has been some ASAP Frontline.